0: Let's turn over to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I want to show you some other things here about preparing your heart to seek the Lord. In First Chronicles chapter 28 is an instance where David, these are some of the very last words that David spoke before his death. And so David called uh, all of the nation of Israel together and he began to give them some charges right before he died about direction, about seeking the Lord. He talked about the dedication of the temple. He uh, talked about how to establish all of these things. That began in the 28th chapter. And in the 29th chapter, it says that, Moreover, David the king said unto all of the congregation, Solomon my son. And, And anyway, what he's getting at is he's talking about Solomon has been commissioned to build the temple. And he says he's young and he's tender. He needs your support. He needs your help. And so David did something right here in the 29th chapter that is really uh, amazing. In verse 3, he says, Moreover, because I've set my affection to the house of my God. You know, we could talk about that a long time, but that's part of preparing your heart. Where a man's heart is, there will his treasure be also, is what it says over in Matthew chapter 6. If you would set your affection on things above, like it says in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, you'd find out that your heart would be in heaven. Your desires would be towards the things of God. The reason that our heart seems to stray away from the things of God and we get so occupied with everything else is because our affection isn't on the Lord the way that it should be. You can set your heart on the Lord. I know that there's some of you listening to me and saying, well, brother, it'd be nice if it was that way, but I don't know how to set it on anything. We have become so numb to taking any initiative to ourselves. You know, they've done studies today that children really have lost a tremendous amount of creativity by putting them in front of a television set. A television set is a great amusement it will entertain it'll occupy you it's a very powerful means of communication but it has very little to do with your ability it doesn't stimulate you to do anything now there are some programs that are developed for that but i'd say the majority of it doesn't as a matter of fact we talk about the word amusement you know what the word amusement means the word muse is used in the bible on a number of different occasions talking about i muse on the things of god it means to think to ponder to meditate what the word muse means amusement the word a is an absolute negative and when you put it together with the word amusement amusement means absolutely no brain activity whatsoever (laughs) is what it's talking about that is literally what the word comes from and so when we say that we're being amused that means that you aren't using your brain you're sitting there letting somebody else do all of the thinking you're just sitting there like a vegetable and receiving that's what the word amusement means and that's exactly what's happened to us. We have been amused. And so we aren't, we aren't used to setting our affection. We aren't used to taking initiative. When you come home from work, most of the time you're tired or something, and you don't even want to sit down and read a paper lots of times because that takes effort. You have to read. You have to think to be able to read. It's a lot better to sit down and just plop yourself in front of a TV and turn it on and let whatever's on there just flow. You can fall together. you can fall asleep watching TV. You know why? Because it's totally amusement. You don't think any brain activity whatsoever. That's the reason people like it. But it is very damaging. And what it does, it just conditions you to be in a vegetable. And instead of taking the initiative and taking responsibility for your own actions, we have really become, I mean, couch potatoes, people that don't know how to entertain ourselves. Amen. I remember when we moved out to the property that we now live at. we got 26 acres out there, and it's a 350-foot vertical rise from the road up to my house. And we've got a 150-foot rock, uh, rock cliff there. and I mean, these huge boulders, and it's just a wonderful place. My kids loved it for about the first week or two. And then after we got out there, they'd stand around. I remember especially my youngest one, Peter, he says, I'm bored. And boy, I mean, I just couldn't comprehend. 26 acres, we back up to a national forest, 20 square miles, 20 miles square of national forest behind us, and they'd be bored. I mean, it's like, you know, what's wrong with you? Can't you entertain yourself? What does it take? But you know, that is a characteristic of our generation, is that we have learned how to be entertained and not to do much on our own. And it's not good. It's not healthy. So I was saying all of this when it, David said that because he had set his affection on the house of God, he set his affection. You can choose what you want to do. You can set your affection on the things of God. You can choose what your heart wants to be geared towards. It takes effort on your part. And there's a lot of people today that you you say, well, God, I desire. We ask God to put a desire in our heart for the things of God. That's not the right way to do it. You can choose. You just set your affection on God and if it tends to go somewhere else because you've been geared that way, you've been conditioned that way and you find yourself wandering, set it back on the things of God and you just keep returning. And You know, after a while, your affection will go where you've pointed it. You can do it. It's wrong to ask God to just make you love Him. God isn't going to make you love Him. It's your choice. You set your affection on the things of God. You begin to seek after the things of God. You begin to renew your mind and I promise you, your heart will enjoy the things of God. But you've got to choose. So anyway, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. But he says, David said, moreover, because I've set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I've prepared for the holy house. In other words, he took all of the king's treasury and prepared gold and silver for the temple. But in the fourth verse, he begins to list what he prepared out of his own bank account for the house of God. And he said, even 3,000 talents of gold. Anybody know how much 3,000 talents of gold is? It's 110 tons of gold. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. I don't know exactly what gold... I worked this out this afternoon, but you know, if if gold is $400 an ounce, that would be $1,408,000,000 worth of gold he prepared out of his own giving. And it says in this verse also that he had prepared 7,000 talents of refined silver. That's 260 tons. And that amounts, and I don't know what silver is. I presume it's somewhere around $32 is what I used. Anybody know? How much is it? Six? Boy, did I miss it. That shows you I don't dabble in gold and silver very much, amen. Well, anyway, let me tell you here how many tons it is. It's 260 tons. At at, uh, $32 an ounce, that would have been $266 million worth of silver that he prepared. So it would be approximately one-sixth of that or something like that, but still a bunch of money. And so he prepared all of those things for the house of the Lord. And then it says in verse 6 that the chief of the fathers and princes of the tribes of Israel and the captains of the thousands and of hundreds with the rulers of the king's work offered willingly... In other words, the king gave of all of these treasures for the house of God and it inspired the people to also get behind it and start giving towards the uh, treasures of the house of the Lord. And in verse 7 it says, They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents. That's 190 tons of gold. Amen. Well, this was quite an offering. This was an awesome offering. 5,000 talents, 190 tons of gold. And of silver, 10,000 talents. That's 375 tons of silver. And of brass, 100,000 talents of iron. That's 675 tons of brass. Well, this was quite an offering. And anyway, it was powerful. And it goes on down here in verse uh, 10. Or let's read verse 9. It says, "...the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly, because with a perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy." Notice again how many times heart has been used right here in just this little thing. Your heart is everything. You know, sometimes churches put the emphasis on obedience. You'll hear people preach that Boy, you got to be holy. you got to do this. And please don't misunderstand me. Obedience is important because every time you disobey, every time that the Lord leads you in a certain direction and you go against what you feel in your heart, you harden your heart. So obedience is definitely a part of keeping your heart sensitive to God. Don't ever violate your conscience. Every time you do, you harden it, you scab it over, desensitize it somewhat to the Lord. So you do need to be obedient. But you know, really, what God is after, obedience is not the main thing. The main thing that God is after is a person's heart, to get your heart. You know, you can teach a dog obedience. I've got a dog that will do anything I ask that dog to do. I mean, if that dog was in a dead run and if I said stop, I guarantee you that dog would stop midair, amen, and wreck and hurt itself. That dog will do anything. I can. It can understand that I want it to do. That dog will do anything. You can train a dog to to obey, but that's not the same, you know, as getting someone's heart. With your children, what you're really after is an obedience. Now, obedience is great, and I'm not saying that we want our children to disobey, but you know what? If your children are only obeying, if you have to be there and tell them, now you do this, you say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, you do this, you be thankful. If it's just them responding to you, then when those kids are out from under your control, then those kids are going to act differently. That's not what you're after. What you're after is you want their heart. If you can ever get their heart, and if you can know what their heart is, then you can release them and say, you know what's right, and let them go. And boy, that's what a parent's looking for is that kind of heart obedience. Not just uh, obedience in actions only, but your heart. That's what God's after. Have you ever heard people stand up in a church before and say something like, well, man, I started to give $10 and God told me to give $20. And I said, oh, God, I can't do it. God, I've got all of this. And the Lord just kept leaning on them and kept saying, you need to do it. And finally they get up and say, well, I struggled back and forth and yet finally out of obedience, I'm just going to obey God they get up and say, I'm obeying God. I'm going to go ahead and do this. And people will clap and say, isn't that great that they're obeying God? That is a sorry, sorry testimony. Now, it's better to obey God than it is to just have totally blown it off and not done it at all. But it's terrible that God would have to argue with you to get anything out of you. It's terrible that God has to just lean on you and put the pressure on and say, you better give or else. Man, that's not a good testimony. You know, the good testimony is that you started to give 10 and the Lord said 20, and you said, oh, Lord, maybe 40. Is that better? That's the kind of person that God's looking for. You know, this whole thing about pray and ask God to tell you what to give, there's certain times that you need to do that because a person may have a specific need, and you need to know specifically what they need. But the vast majority of the time, the Scripture admonishes us that you're supposed to give as you purpose in your own heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. That means God didn't tell you what to give. If you're one of those that only give when you're told to give, you aren't giving the way that God wants you to. You ought to give as you purpose in your heart. What would it be like if you came up to your children and the only time they said, I love you, is when you came up and said, say, I love you. And they always repeat it after you, I love you. Well, that's not what you're after. There may be a time that you have to start off by just telling them and they do it out of nothing but sheer obedience because you're trying to train them in the way that they should do it. And then for a period of time you start leading them and you start showing them how to do it. You say, see, did you see how I said thank you to this person? And you're showing them by example. But ultimately you're wanting to get to a place to where their heart is established in the things of God and they just do it because it's in their heart to be kind and to love people. Well, see, Christians go through the same stage. There's a period of time that, well, you just do it because God told me to do it. But then you do it because you're getting closer to the Lord and you're getting a desire to be like God and you see that this is the way God is. So you start imitating Him, but then after a while, your heart has become like God. God has transformed your heart. And you get to where you operate in these things, not because you are hat you have to do it, not because God just told you to do it, but because that's in your heart. God has changed your heart. Well, that's a powerful message. You can go home right there and get something. That's powerful. Boy, y'all are looking at me strange. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, this is the way God intends for us to be. So many Christians are out here just running into walls, messing their life up, ruining their life, and then they come to God and ask, God, what's wrong? Help me. I'm telling you the problem here tonight. It's because our heart isn't inclined after the things of God. Our heart's wicked. Our heart's all of these other things. We're occupied with everything else and wondering why nothing's working. You set your heart on the things of God, you get your heart sensitive to God, and it doesn't matter how stupid you are, God will preserve the simple. If your heart's right, amen, God will work things out for you. If your heart's right, God looks on the heart. He's more concerned with your heart. He's more concerned with your motives than He is your actions. There's a lot of scriptures that go along with that. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, If I give all of my goods to feed the poor or if I give my body to be burned and if I don't do it motivated out of God's kind of love, it profits me nothing. God is more concerned with the motive of your heart than He is your actions. Oh, that's powerful truth. So these people, see, they offered willingly. They had a perfect heart. And because of this, it caused rejoicing in the presence of the Lord. It caused rejoicing in the people. I mean, it was a special day. And in verse 10 it says, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation, and David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. What he began to do is thank him for this opportunity to give. And he said, Lord, even the things that we've given you, all of this money. And I mean, this was an awesome amount of money. Billions and billions of dollars of gold, silver, and all of this. And he says, everything we've given you, he says, it was yours to start with. says, we didn't do anything except take the things that you gave us and gave it back to you. He says, who are we to offer and to glory in this? All we did was give you back which was already yours, rightfully yours. Why, that's a humble attitude. That's a good attitude. And he said this in verse 16. He says, O Lord, our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee in house for thine holy name cometh of thy hand and is all thine own. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all of these things, and now have I seen with joy thy people which are present here to offer willingly unto thee. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the hearts of thy people and prepare their heart unto thee. See, this is what we started off talking about, is about preparing your heart unto the Lord. And this is what David was praying for. David said, God, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of these people and prepare their heart. That's synonymous. One of the ways that you prepare your heart, one of the ways you set your heart on the things of God and make your heart sensitive and receptive to God is through... Your remembrance is what this is talking about. When he's talking about the imagination of your heart, I mentioned this a little bit last night to some of the elders that uh, we got together and talked about. I've got a tape on renewing the mind through imagination. The importance of imagination in renewing a mind. I'm not going to teach on that tonight. But the imagination here is talking about uh, basically your remembrance. Your ability to remember. Did you know that your ability to remember is a powerful, powerful force? You have to exercise it. It's not just automatic. It's something that you have to condition yourself to. But uh, remembrance, a memory, is a powerful force for keeping your heart sensitive unto the Lord. And if I had time tonight, I mean, we could just go through step by step and show you all of these things. In the Old Testament, there were laws. I mean, laws that God communicated about not tearing down a landmark, about rearing up landmarks and setting these things as milestones in your life and remembering things. The Lord established feasts. There were four main feasts every year. And he established these feasts, and he said in each one of them that the purpose of these feasts was to bring the people back into remembrance. Even in the New Testament days, Jesus established the Lord's Supper, and he said that the purpose of it, he says, do this in remembrance of me. There are things all the way through the Word of God. Matter of fact, one of the commands of the Ten Commandments is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And when he says remember the Sabbath day, he's talking about going back to the original purpose when God ceased from all of his effort and work on the, in the days of creation. And it's talking about more than some religious observance. It's talking about going back and remembering what it means, a Sabbath. I've got a tape on the Sabbath rest. Well, most people don't have the slightest idea what the Sabbath is. It is not a day. It is not a day. It is a relationship with the Lord. Second, uh, I mean, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16 says that it was only a picture of something. A Sabbath is not a day. And you were supposed to understand what a Sabbath is and go back and remember it. All of these things are built around remembrance. Look over in Second Peter chapter 1. Let me show you some scriptures on this. Second Peter chapter 1. This is the Apostle Peter speaking. In verse 12. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. He says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. And he had just talked about, you know, adding to your um, virtue, godliness, and all of these kind of things. Talking about all of these principles that were supposed to be operating in their life. He said, I'll not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. See, it's not enough to know a truth. You have to keep those truths in the midst of your heart. There's scriptures that talk about that. Keeping the word in the midst of your heart, not on the periphery, not on the side. One of the things that's hardest for a minister, and you know, I don't have this as much as a, a pastor does because I'm constantly traveling and sharing different things. But a pa- when I pastored, I pastored three churches. One of the hardest things to do is people constantly want something brand new. And you know, it's hard once you've stayed in a place year after year after year to always be sharing something new with people. And people are wanting something new. And to a degree, yes, we need to always be learning more. And we do need new things. But brothers and sisters, we need to learn what we've already heard. There there is a benefit to going back and renewing things. But people don't like that. The majority of you, your first reaction is, if you've heard something before, is, well, I heard that, and you just immediately shut off. And that may be the very thing that you need to hear. Well, there is power in going back over things, over and over and over. That's what meditation is. Very few people like to meditate. They like to read and get something brand new, but they don't like to take something they already know and meditate on it. But it's in meditation that you really get the real power, the meat of the Word of God comes in meditating things that you've already known. One of the things that I do a lot, I'll take a scripture that I think I know everything about. I mean, I've meditated this thing. I have taught it. I've preached it up and down year after year after year. And I'll sit and just start looking at that verse and praying over it. And I mean, I have never done that, that God doesn't give me something extra out of it. The Word of God is powerful. You can never, never, never plumb the depths of any scripture. If you ever think, well, I know that truth, you don't know anything yet as you ought to know. We need to constantly go back over. And this is what he's talking about. He says, I'm going to always put you in remembrance of these things, though you know them. Just because you know it, because you have knowledge of it, doesn't mean that it's really producing. In verse 13, he says, Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. You want to get stirred up? You know the way to do that is to get yourself remembering the things that God has spoken to you. Calling those things back to your remembrance. In verse 15, he says, Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Peter thought this was important enough that he decided to write this down and put it into a form that they could not only be reminded of at this one time, but that they could have it in written form and go back over it and over it and over it again and again and again. Well, that's important. Over in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both, talking about the first epistle and the second one, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. You know, you need your mind stirred up and activated through remembering things. See, all of this goes back to preparing your heart. David under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, when he was praying about these people, he says, Lord, keep this always in the imagination of the thoughts of their hearts continually and prepare their heart unto you. Part of preparing your heart before the Lord is that you need to constantly keep your mind in remembrance of the things that God has spoken unto you, the things that God has done in your life. Boy, there's a thousand scriptures that we could bring to bear on this. Psalms chapter 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not, All His benefits. You know why it told you not to forget His benefits? Because you can forget His benefits. If you don't incline your heart to the things of God, you will forget the things of God. It takes effort to remember what God has done in your life. And many people just literally aren't doing that. Our lifestyle has become so busy today that we are so occupied. I mean, a lot of you start going early in the morning. You have no time to sit down and meditate or think about anything. Psalms chapter 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Well, if you want to really be built up and have God establish your heart, there is going to have to be some time in your life for you being still and knowing that He is God. Being still and going back and remembering things that God has done in your life. Going back over scriptures. You know, there's some of you that during these last three sessions, God has spoken some things to you. God has touched your heart. You need to go back and remember that. And I can promise you, you will not remember it just automatically. You have to make a deliberate effort to do it, and it has to become a part of your lifestyle. There are very few days that have ever passed in my life since March the 23rd, 1963, that I don't go back and remember what happened in my life on March the 23rd. Excuse me, it was 1968. There's very few days that I don't go back and think about that. I renew myself on that constantly long before I even saw these scriptures I mean it was a milestone in my life and I never wanted to forget that God became real to me in a way that I never thought it was possible and I go back and I remember that every single day of my life and it has a profound effect on me you know it's hard for me to think about going out and sinning against the Lord, turning against the Lord going out and doing something else when I remember what God has done in my life the great claims that God has on my life If you keep things like that in your remembrance, it'll change your behavior. It'll change your behavior, brothers and sisters. When the children of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, what was it that God spoke to them? Many different times, He says, "...and they soon forgot the mighty works that God had done in the land of Egypt." They soon forgot all of His wonders that He did in the wilderness, and they turned back in their heart unto Egypt." They forgot the bondage that they were in. They forgot all of the oppression that they were under. They forgot the miracles that God had done. You wonder, how could people be so brain dead? Did you know that having a lack of remembrance is a sign of a hardened heart? That's what Jesus said. Look over in the 8th chapter of the book of Mark. And Jesus here was talking about a hardened heart, and He explained all of this. Mark chapter 8. He said unto them in verse 17, When Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? He just asked them a question. They gave the wrong answer and they missed it. And they immediately thought, Well, we should have brought some bread with us. Maybe that's what he's talking about. And he says, Why are you thinking it's because you have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? He's talking about a hardened heart and what he's doing. He's, he's telling you what a, what the symptoms or the characteristic of a hardened heart are. He says, number one, perceive ye not yet. Not being able to perceive spiritual truth and spiritual reality. Jesus was speaking to them, imparting truth unto them, and they couldn't get it. You know what that's symptomatic of? A hardened heart. Amen. Boy, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church. <laughs> If you've ever had trouble understanding and perceiving spiritual truth, I mean, you can hear it. The words are making sense. It's not that you didn't hear it, you didn't understand it, but it just didn't get any further than right here. It didn't drop down into you. It didn't ring true. You go out of there, you know, and you say, Oh, great message, Pastor. And then you go out, and if he was to ask you that night, What did I preach on? You forgot. You can't remember. It never penetrated your heart. You know what that is? That's a hardened heart. Some of them say, oh, brother, no, you just don't understand. That's the way that I am. That's just the way that, you know, I've always been. Well, that's because you've always had a hardened heart then. (laughs) This is what a hardened heart produces, is an inability to perceive and understand. I talked about this some yesterday, that understanding is everything. Just having knowledge is nothing unless you have the understanding to be able to apply it. Proverbs talks about that. Understanding is the thing that keeps Satan from coming and stealing the word out of your heart. You can't understand spiritual truth if you have a hardened heart. And he goes on in the 18th verse, he says, "...having eyes, see ye not..." He's not talking about your physical eyes. He says, "...don't you have any spiritual eyesight?" In other words, you're spiritually blind. The obvious is right in front of you and you're missing it. Well, I could stay on this a long time. I need to move on. But brothers and sisters, I tell you, from my perspective... Dealing with people, I deal with people by the hundreds, thousands, thousands, thousands. I deal with people, and people always ask the same questions. The Bible says that there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. You have a different package, a different wrapper on the package, a different bow on it, but it's always, always, always the same problems. doesn't matter if you're fighting leukemia or if you're fighting a hangnail. It doesn't matter if you're going through a divorce or if you just had a spat over something. It's all the same thing. Satan only has just very limited things that he can fight people with. The answers are the same. And I deal with people that come up and ask me the same things over and over and over again. I've seen them work for thousands and thousands of people. I'll tell you what the answer is and it just, boom, right over some people's head. Just, they missed it. I told them something took me 20 years to learn. I mean, it's awesome. It's revelation. It's life transforming. And they just missed it. They didn't perceive. I mean, I put it right in front of them and they look right around it to say, where's my answer? I mean, it's just like God speak to me. You wonder, how dense can a person get? You know what that is? It's a hardened heart. You're having eyes, but you can't see because our heart is hardened. And having ears, you hear not. Same thing. We can't hear the voice of God, and yet God is speaking to us 100% of the time. Always, always God is speaking to us. And also notice in verse 18, And do ye not remember? Lack of being able to remember, retain spiritual truth and Revelation is a condition of having a hardened heart. Another way of saying this, to phrase it, is just that if you have a hardened heart, it makes you spiritually retarded. You just don't function. Your elevator doesn't go to the top floor. Amen? One sandwich short of a picnic. <laughs> you just aren't functioning well in the spiritual realm. That's a condition of a hardened heart. And the truth is that a lot of us have a hardened heart towards the things of God. You can use your remembrance to change your heart. You can go back and think on what God has done. You know, in the denominational church, we used to sing a song about count your many blessings, name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. You know, there was some power in that in that song. And it was a scriptural principle. Forget not all of His benefits. And then the Psalms 103 just goes through listing what all of these benefits are. You ought to constantly have a mental list of all of the blessings that God has put in your life. And you ought to run through those things on a continual basis. And brothers and sisters, it takes time to do this. It takes meditating on the Word. It takes being still and knowing that He is God. But the truth is that we just get occupied with other things. Many of us, our heart is being hardened towards the things of God and we just are missing out because of just preoccupation with junk. And the TV is one of the biggest time wasters that we have in our life and all of the other things that we do. I tell you, you don't have to read the newspaper. You don't have to watch the news. If you get into a war, you'll hear about it. Somebody will tell you. If something really important happens, you're going to hear about it. It's not necessary to spend all of the time that we do. You know, we think that, well, I've got to be informed. I don't want to be ignorant. Boy, if you're looking to the news for your information, you are ignorant. You are ignorant to the max. That is the most biased, prejudiced thing. It is wrong, wrong, wrong. That's just, that's not wisdom. I guarantee you, you're misinformed if you're listening to the news to get your news. You can learn more about current events, reading the Word of God, than you can by listening to the news broadcast, because the Word of God isn't biased. Amen? It's not prejudice. It'll tell you the truth. We need to spend time in the things of God. We need to sit down and remember the good things that God has done in your life. I couldn't tell you the number of times that I've had somebody come to me in a crisis situation. And one of the ways that I calm them down, if I know them, I'll go back and start reminding them of things that God has done in their life. I've had people come to me before that had a $100 bill that they couldn't pay. And they had prayed and the deadline was coming and panic seized them, fear overcame them and they were ready to quit and give up and deny the Lord if he couldn't supply that. And I mean, God brought them out of a life of drugs, alcohol, sexual bondage, restored their marriage, did all of these great things and yet you can get so zeroed in on your little problem that you forget the perspective, you forget how it fits into the bigger picture. And I mean, you're going to stumble over some little insignificant thing when you've had all of these great things happen in your life boy, the, the Bible is full of that. Asa in Second Chronicles chapter, I think it's chapter 19 over there. Asa was a man who started out trusting in God and he had the Ethiopians, the Egyptians, the Lubians. it was millions of people come against them. It quit counting at over a million people. It says that they were without number. It was a huge host that came against them and Asa stood before the people and he cried out to God and he said, God we don't have any power to come against this mighty host. We don't have any ability to overcome them. It says it doesn't matter with you whether you save by few or by many. You can do it. God, the battle is yours. And they cried out to God, and God supernaturally delivered them. And I mean, their little band of soldiers defeated millions of people. It was an awesome, awesome deliverance. And then later on, the the people from Damascus came against them, and Asa forgot. The mighty deliverance that God had done in his life. And he sent and hired soldiers from other places to go fight his battle. And he won the battle. But a prophet came to him and says, Because you did this thing and you didn't depend upon the Lord, you've done foolishly. And because you did this, you'll never get rid of war. But you'll have war from now until the day you die. And then Second Chronicles 19:6 says, Because the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those who are perfect in his sight. Boy, that's a powerful scripture. We use that and take it out of context. But it was talking to Asa, and it was saying God was looking to see if you'd trust Him. If you would have trusted Him in this instance, God would have wrought a deliverance for you that you'd have never, you'd have never had any more war. You'd have been totally delivered if you would have relied upon God instead of relying upon yourself. And you wonder, see, this wasn't a guy that hadn't experienced the blessing of God. He had experienced it, and he forgot Brothers and sisters, if I could sit down and talk with every one of you in here tonight, I can guarantee you God has done awesome miracles in your life. God has done wonderful things. And if you would go back and start thinking about what God has done, you know what would happen? He would stir you up by putting your pure minds in way of remembrance. A memory is a powerful thing. I actually heard a man one time talk about He saw this on the news broadcast that there was a girl who was very rebellious into drugs, sexual perversion, all kinds of things and she had some kind of a wreck lost her memory and when she lost her memory she totally lost all all desire for drugs these friends that lifestyle she came back home and she was just the sweetest happiest most normal kid that there ever was because all of that was dependent upon memory she had had some things happen to her that had soured her, she became bitter, she made some wrong decisions and it was a progression of things right into that and when her memory was wiped out all of the desire was gone. Did you know a lot of who you are and a lot of what you are and how you're acting is really dependent upon your memory? I was talking yesterday about people using their childhood as an excuse for a dysfunctional adulthood. That's all memory. The memory of the righteous is blessed, is what the Scripture says. Once you become in right standing with God, God wants to bless your memory. God can change the way that you look at things, the way that you perceive them. You know, you can get a sanctified memory and you can go back to the very things that harm you right now and that, I mean, cause you a lot of pain and make you bitter and everything else and you could take the Word of God, go back and rehearse those things and put it into its proper context and actually make it one of the milestones in your life. God could set you free, and instead of that being something that causes pain, it could cause a blessing in your life. Every time you go back, it, you could remember what a great miracle it was. I've had things happen in my life. I remember one time I had something happen that I said, God, I honestly don't think I can live through this. And, you know, I can look back at that now, and I can see that that was a real turning point in my life because I cried out to God. God meant me. God delivered me and set me free, and it has become a powerful uh, reminder to me of God's ability to deliver. Your memory is a powerful force. And the sad thing is, most of us aren't using it in a positive way. Notice over there in Second Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 18, that scripture says, Keep in the imagination of the thoughts of their heart. You know, your imagination is a powerful force. And again, most Christians don't use imagination. When it comes to Christian things We think that imagination Meditation Visualizing something Seeing something in your mind Which is what your imagination is We think that that has has something to do with new age stuff Or it's something that's ungodly Well there is some new age talk about that And I'm not advocating that I mean people that go out and say Visualize world peace And they get 20,000 people together To visualize world peace That's just plain dumb and stupid That's not going to work Because, see, they think that the power is in the mind. If you'll just think the right thing, that the mind can somehow or another create this. All the mind is is like a valve. The real life is in your spirit. If you don't have a born-again spirit, if you are dead in trespasses and sin, you can open this mind up and visualize anything you want to, and the mind cannot generate anything. But it can either shut off the life of God in a Christian, or it can release it. And if your mind is crossways with what God is saying, you can hinder the flow of God through you, and you do need to renew your mind. And one of the ways you do it is with your imagination. And you do that a lot with your remembrance, with your ability to remember so I'm not talking New Age stuff, okay? Uh, you know, Eastern religion also talks about prayer. Does that mean that we're supposed to get rid of prayer because the Eastern religion talks about prayer? No, not at all. I'm saying that there is a godly function to your imagination. That scripture talks about it. In, in Genesis chapter 11, God came down to see men, what they were building at the Tower of Babel. And He saw them and He said, Now nothing that they imagine to do will be restrained unto them. The Lord used imaginations, and it's it's part of the creative force. If you look the word imagination up in the Hebrew, it'll actually say that the word imagination means conception and to create. It's the creative part of your mind, your imagination. And you use imagination constantly, all of the time. You know, if if I was to say to you right now, think of a water blivet. Most of you are blank. Because you you can't picture a water blivet. You don't know what a water blivet is. But with words, see, I can paint you a picture of what a water blivet is. Now, you may not get a total picture, but see, a water blivet is what we used in Vietnam. It's what they brought the water into our uh, fire support bases with, and they came in 250 and 500 and 1,000-gallon sizes. 1,000-gallon was probably about 12 feet tall and maybe 10 or 15 feet long like that. It's a black cylinder tube. It looked like an inner tube, that kind of uh, rubber, and on the end was a brass spigot that you turned it on and you got your water out of, and as you took the water out, the air pressure collapsed it. Those things had collapsed down flat, and then they'd fly them out. Now, you may still not have a real good picture of it, but see, my words just painted a picture in your imagination. It's your imagination. You haven't seen a water bliffet with your eye, and yet every one of you have a picture of a, a water bliffet in your mind right now because of the words that I used. If I say dog, you don't see. D-O-G, dog. What you see is an animal. You think of an animal. And the picture that is in everybody's imagination varies based on what probably what you're familiar with if you have an animal normally you'll see your animal some of you have big dogs some of you have little dogs and all kinds of dogs in between you know i could say big dog and immediately a lot of your picture just changed and you have to start thinking about something else i could say big black dog and immediately a lot of you changed again and you're getting closer i could say big black mean dog big black mean hairy dog fuzzy dog you know you can just keep using words and what it does the picture keeps getting closer and closer that's your imagination you use it all of the time if I was to ask you for directions right now from here to downtown Grand Haven you know what you're gonna do in your imagination you would picture yourself going right out here to the street you'd see all of these things you'd be sitting in this room and yet in your mind you'd see that highway you'd go down the road to wherever I was asking to go to you'd picture Things that are landmarks along the way. And that's how you do it. You use your mind all of the time. Your imagination. If you go to a grocery shop, you know what you women do? You make a list. If you make a list out, you go down each aisle of that store in your imagination. You didn't leave the place that you're sitting. But you use your imagination to go up and down the aisle of that thing. And if you were to go to a store that had everything reversed and crooked, did you know you would have a hard time making a shopping list? Because that's the way you make your shopping list is to go up and down those aisles and you picture what's there and then you write down. It's just like you were in the store and you're going through and you're making a list. Everybody follow that? All I'm trying to say is that your imagination is not evil. It's always there. It functions. But somehow in the Christian realm, Christians think that they shouldn't use it. And yet David was praying and saying, Lord, keep this in the thoughts, the imagination of the thoughts of their heart. In other words, he was saying, God, burn this picture today of what's going on into their heart. Let them always, always be able to recall this and remember this special occasion when God moved in such a mighty way that billions and billions of dollars worth of offerings came in in one day's time, unsolicited. He says, God, keep this always in the imagination of the thoughts of the people's heart. We need to make some decisions like that. We need to go back and you need to use your imagination to remember things that God has done. See, this is what meditation is. When you make a shopping list, you're meditating on what to get at that store. You're using your imagination. That's the way that you do with the Word of God. You go to God's Word and the promises that He's given you. You go to, you know, I have taken the things that have happened with people in the Word of God and I have meditated on those things hundreds of thousands of hours. Man, I've seen David kill Goliath. I couldn't tell you how many times. Most people wouldn't use that terminology, but that's what happens. I picture that. I envision it. I go and I look at the measurements of how tall Goliath is and I've measured that and I've actually stood up next to something that tall. So that I could envision it better. So that I could see it and get a real picture of what it was like for David to go up against that giant. Did you know things like that? All it does is it helps you picture it more and therefore I get more out of it. That's the way that you meditate in the Word. That's the way that you prepare your heart towards the things of God. You need to meditate on the Word of God, on the things that God has done in your life until a picture is formed. Many of you, when it comes to the things of the Lord, you don't have an image. You don't have a, you can't see it. You've never captured that in your imagination. You've got a vague reference. You know that God has done something, but you can't see it. You need to meditate until you can see it on the inside of you. See what God has for you. If God has called you to do something, meditate on it until you can see what God told you happening in your life. If God says that you're healed, you think on healing scriptures And go to the Scriptures. Like I prayed for a number of people last night that had curvature of the spine. Well, there's an example of that in the Bible. And it says that it was a woman bent over and could no wise lift herself up. And Jesus called it a spirit of infirmity. And God spoke to her and she was instantly healed. If you haven't seen it happen in your life, turn to the Scripture. See this woman healed. And then go over to uh, Romans 2.4 or 2.14 or whatever it is, 2 something. It says that God is no respecter of persons. That means if God did it for her, He'd do it for you. And so you turn over there and you see it happen to her and then you see it happen to you. And you know what? You can get healed that way. What's the of you are looking at me strange. This is basic Christianity. This is simple stuff. I'm just telling you about how your brain works. It's all coming out of Scripture. Your imagination is a creative part of you. If you can't see it on the inside, you will not see it on the outside. If you can't see yourself loving God and worshiping God, if you've got a different image of you, then you will conform to that image. There's some of you that physically are prospering. You are forcing yourself to overcome negative things spoken about you. And you're prospering and you're making it to a degree. But you know the image that's on the inside really is defeat. There's some of you that in the world people look at you and think success, but you see yourself as a failure. If that's the way you see yourself, you're going to become. It'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy. As a man thinketh in his heart. So is he? Do you know that same word that's used there, thinketh, in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, is also translated imagination. The way that you imagine yourself, the way you picture yourself to be on the inside is the same way that you're going to be. It will eventually come to pass on the outside. That's the reason that if you won a million dollars in the lottery or ten million dollars or whatever some people think, man, if I could just win the lottery, my problems would be over. I'd be set for life. Unless you change the image on the inside of you, you would be back exactly in the position you're in today. Your financial condition today is an exact, well, not exact, but it is a representation of the way you think on the inside. The reason I say it's not exact is because it can fluctuate. But overall, if you take an average, you are right now the way that you have pictured yourself on the inside. If you're prospering, it's because you've been seeing yourself prosperous and you've been heading that direction. Winning the lottery wouldn't do it. The statistics show people that win the lottery that the vast majority of them, I've heard the statistic, I don't remember right now, but it's over 60% of all people that win the lottery wind up within five years back in worse financial condition than they were before they won it statistics are against it. You know why? Because those people had an image. As they think in their heart, so are they. You are the way you've been thinking. It's not circumstances that have made you where you are financially. It's not your hard knocks. It's not the economy. It's not all of these other things. It's the way that you see yourself on the inside. It's the way you think. And the good news about that is that you can change the way you think and you can change the end result. You can you can change the outcome external things if, first of all, you never change the image on the inside. Physical things are no problem. Healing is no problem. Man, we saw Sue heal last night. I've seen people raised from the dead. I was sharing that on the radio today. I've seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open. I've seen about every kind of miracle that you can see happen, happen. Healing is no problem. Nothing is impossible with God as long as it's on the outside. But if you get a person that's sick on the inside, you got a serious, serious problem. A cold can kill a person like that. You get a person who's got an image on the inside, they're seeing themselves wrong, thinking wrong on the inside, and that is a severe problem. Physical problems on the outside, no problem, as long as you're healthy on the inside. Man, your imagination, the way you think about things is vital, and a large part of that is just going back and remembering the things of God. Taking the Scriptures that God has given you and keeping them in the midst of your heart. Hiding them in your heart is what the Scripture talks about. The Scripture talks about inclining your ear unto the things of God. You know, that's not talking about tilting your head at a certain angle. That's talking about applying your ear. You have a spiritual ear. Just like you got physical ears. Did you know you have spiritual ears and you have spiritual eyes? In the second, uh, second Kings chapter 6, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open up the servant's eyes. And I guarantee you that servant's eyes were wide open. They were surrounded by all these enemy soldiers. His eyes were already wide open. His physical eyes, but his spiritual eyes, he couldn't see. You have spiritual vision, spiritual sight. You have spiritual ability to hear. You can hear God speak to you, not audibly, but it's nearly—it's so real. You can get your spiritual ear t- tuned to the things of God that it's just exactly as if God spoke to you. You know, some of the things that I was speaking to people last night and these words of knowledge that some of them testified about, you can hear God tell you things. God knows everything about you. And God can tell you things about people. I was praying with a man in St. Louis recently, and he came up. It was a minister's group. And somebody else was doing the prayer. And we just all were standing around praying. And as we prayed for this man, the Lord gave me a name. And I can't even remember what it was right now. It's Julie or something like that. And I knew that this was a man and he gave me this name, Julie. I just had to come to me. Julie is who I was praying for. And I thought, boy, this is strange. So I asked this man. I said, uh, who is Julie? The Lord told me I wasn't praying for you. I was praying for Julie. And this guy just looked at me, and he was a pastor of a church, and he says, you know, on the way over here, I had an elder call me, and his daughter's name is Julie, and he called me because she has been made fun of in school today. They had just about run her out of school. She came home crying, and she called knowing I was going to a minister's group, and she said, would you ask them to pray for me that God had helped me to stand and not give in to this pressure? And man, here's somebody at this thing. God told them that we were praying for Julie, he went right to the phone to call and let Julie know that, man, God knew all about it. Don't you think that encouraged her? You have spiritual ears. Every last one of you can hear God speak to you, but you have to incline your ear. That means you have to start listening with your spiritual ear. You have to start spending time in the presence of God, being sensitive to God. You cannot listen with your spiritual ear and your physical ear at the same time. You can't listen with your spiritual ear while you're watching as the stomach turns on television. You're going to have to turn that off and you're going to have to be still and know that He is God and let your mind be stayed upon the things of God. Well, what I'm saying is simple. I don't know how anybody can miss this. It is really simple and yet it's profound. I can guarantee you that the most, of, most of you in here are not living this kind of a lifestyle and I'm not living it the way that I need to. All of us, all of us, all of us need to incline our ear, incline our senses, prepare our heart to seek God. Spend time. Go back and remember what God has done in your life. Let God speak to you. Don't forget His benefits. Don't be like the Israelites that had all these great miracles and plagues and three days into the wilderness had forgotten everything and were ready to go back to Egypt. Three days after seeing the death angel strike the mightiest nation on the earth to their knees and say leave us your god he's the true god 3 days out they were ready to turn back and go back into slavery because they didn't have anything to drink why it's hard hearted hard hearted and yet i can guarantee you we do the same thing and a lot of it comes just because we aren't applying our heart to the things of God. We haven't prepared our heart. We aren't setting our heart. We ha- our affection isn't set on things above. Our affection is set everywhere else. In a sense, I'm preaching to the choir tonight because you're the ones that are here on a Monday night, Amen. You're the ones that have made a decision to put your attention on the things above. But even out of this group, I know that we still aren't performing it the way that we should. It's really simple. It's really simple. If you took Abraham and put Abraham into your lifestyle, did you know Abraham would get exactly the same results that you're getting? But on the other hand, if you took yourself and put yourself into Abraham's lifestyle, did you know you would get exactly the same results that Abraham got? Abraham meditated on the Word day and night. He was so single-minded on the Word that when God said, you're going to have a child when you're a hundred years old, it says in Romans 4:18 and 19 that he considered not. the word consider means to think, ponder, study, deliberate, examine or meditate. Abraham considered not his own body now dead. He didn't even bring it into his consciousness about his physical qualifications and ability to fulfill it. He was so zeroed up on God's Word. God told him 26 years before, if you can count the stars in the sky or count all of the grains of sand on the seashore, so shall your seed be. You know why God gave him those two illustrations? Because Abraham didn't live in the same environment we do. He lived outside... And every night he sat there and watched the stars. It was something that brought him to remembrance of God's promise. Every night he saw God's promise. Every day he wore sandals and he had to clean the dust off of his feet. And he remembered every single day as much as the grains of sand on the seashore. That's how many children I'm going to have. That's the reason God chose those two things. It's a constant reminder. It was to remind him. Well, we need to make some things in our life. We need to make some commitments like this, and we need to gear our life, center it up on the Lord. You know, I've been talking on the positive side of all this tonight. But in the same way as your imagination has positive benefit, it has tremendous power in the negative, too. That's the reason, and please, I hope you don't think that I'm against TV as such. I'm on TV, I have television programs. (laughs) I'm not against TV, I'm just against most of the stuff that's on it. Every TV I've ever seen had an on and off knob. You don't have to just sit in front of it. There's nothing that makes you watch something that's ungodly. Even if you could find a decent show on television, the commercials will kill you. The commercials are going to be about sickness and doubt and unbelief and beer and all this other junk. You don't need that stuff. They use sex to sell cigarettes to sell toothpaste, to sell everything else. You don't need that kind of thing. Everything you see or hear is either producing life or it's producing death. There is no in-between. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. It didn't say death and life and a tremendous multitude of nothingness in between. It's either death or it's life. Everything you see or hear is either ministering life or it's ministering death to you. Every time you watch something that has fear in it and hatred and strife and violence, it's sowing a seed in your heart. Every time you see something where somebody gets raped, it's planting a a fear in your heart. It's conditioning you. When you see somebody that's constantly being burglarized, the murder, the violence, it's sowing a fear in your heart. And then you wonder why you're having some of the problems that you're having. Well, we need to realize that your imagination can function positively or negatively. When you you see that stuff paraded in front of you, I guarantee you terrible things can be taking place on the inside of you. An image, that's the reason television is such a powerful means of communication is because you think in pictures. And when you see pictures up there, I guarantee you it'll grab your attention. A picture is worth a thousand words. It'll do something to you when you're seeing negative things portrayed, when you're seeing ungodly things portrayed. And brothers and sisters, I can guarantee you there's Christians sitting right here tonight that are letting those ungodly things parade in front of them. And you don't know where you're going. I guarantee you that road's going to take you someplace you don't want to go. You are not preparing your heart towards the things of God. Well, I'm going to have to quit tonight, but if I had time, we could just keep going on this. I've got that tape series out there on hardness of heart and the second series in that tape. I encourage everybody... To get that. You can get those tapes if you don't want to buy them. You can get those tapes individually, uh, free of charge from us. And that second tape in that series, Hardness of Heart, the Cause, will tell you what causes your heart to become hardened or sensitive towards God. And it's whatever you think upon. You cannot be tempted with what you don't think. And that's what that tape is about. That is a powerful truth. You can't be tempted with what you don't think. If you're tempted in some area, it's because you've been thinking on things that gender temptation. If you can't think it, you cannot be tempted with it. When I was in high school, I went to New York for the first time, you know, and I was raised in a Christian environment. And I'm sure I heard some other stuff, but honestly, it just went over my head. It didn't register with me. I'm sure I knew that there was such a thing as prostitution. But I wasn't interested in it. It didn't have anything to do with me, so I never paid any attention to it. And when I got to New York, I saw all of these prostitutes. There was hundreds of them lined up down 42nd Avenue, leaned up against this wall. It never one time registered with me what they were doing. I just saw all of these women, and I thought, boy, this is a great opportunity. I got my tracks, went right down the line, passing them all out (laughs) tracks, stood up and witnessed to them all. I'd heard about gangs, but it never registered with me that there would be gangs. That wasn't something I was interested in. So I'd go at 1 o'clock in the morning, New York City, go down and see a group of 15 or 20 guys in an alley. And I'd go back there and pass them all out tracks and witness to them. They were so stunned. I mean, they just stood there and let me preach to them. I thought this was great. I had a pimp come up to me and try and sell me one of his girls. And because I wasn't aware of the street language and I wasn't aware of what he was talking about, this guy talked to me for probably ten minutes. And finally, he just shook his head and walked off. And I remember going back to the hotel and telling the guys that I was staying with, I said, you never will believe what this guy was saying. And I started repeating what he had said and they started laughing and they had to explain to me what he was trying to do. I wasn't even sharp enough to know he was trying to sell me one of his girls. But guess what? I wasn't tempted. You cannot be tempted with what you don't think. You know why you're so drawn to some sexual problems? Because you have thought on that stuff. Our world is putting it out in front of us on billboards, magazines, television, and you're allowing it, and you're thinking on it, and that's the reason you're tempted with it. And then you're saying, well, the devil's just making me do this. I don't know why I have this desire. That's ignorance gone to seed. It's because you're thinking on it. It's because you're letting that junk come in front of your eyes. Shut it out, you know, and you can get rid of it. The reason I have ministers' conferences where we go to a resort and isolate people is because you can literally starve the devil out of people. And it doesn't take a long time. This is the reason some of you at church camps or something like that will get touched and you'll never get touched anywhere else is because you have to feed the demonic stuff that's on the inside of you. And if you isolate a person from the telephone, from your business, from your home, from the strife, from the things that occupy you, you put them in an environment for where for one week they're totally hearing the Word of God, fellowshipping with people about God. Even when they eat, they're talking about God. Their attention is just stayed upon God. And in one week's time, you can see major, major deliverances come in a person's life because they can't survive. The demonic powers cannot survive in a person's life without being fed. It doesn't take a long time. One week, you'll see the devil, man, just crumble in your life. One week. But you know, people come to services like this and no telling what you've done today. And it doesn't have to be sin. You can harden your heart through things that aren't sin, just being preoccupied with day-to-day things. But there's no telling what you've been involved with. There's no telling what you'll do when you go home. Go home and wash this down with an hour or two hours worth of sin and ungodliness and vileness on television. Profanity or who knows what else. And then wonder, well now let's see, what was it that that preacher said? It really seemed to minister to me. I just can't seem to remember the things of God. I wonder why some people are like that. It's because of the hardness of your heart. I'm saying these things in love. I'm not here to criticize anybody. I know you came tonight to be blessed, but what I'm telling you will bless your life. It'll help you instead of hurt you. Well, I tell you, this is serious as a heart attack. This is the truth. It'll set you free. You get your mind stayed on God, the Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusteth in him. Isaiah 26, 3. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Are you having anything other than life and peace? Your mind has stayed on something other than spiritual minded things. It's real simple. I don't know how you can miss that. You get zeroed in on God and you're going to set your heart towards God. You call those things to remembrance. Go home tonight and before you go to bed, Meditate some of the scriptures we've talked about. Go back through these things. Read those scriptures. Get those four verses in Second Peter set in your heart about the importance of remembrance. Psalm 103, 1 through 3, and all of the other scriptures we've talked about tonight. Go back over those things and remind yourself. When you get up in the morning, remind yourself of those scriptures. And I guarantee you, it'll change your heart.